We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast presented by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo, and this week's episode is our non-sports movie of the month. We're talking Pitch Perfect, which might actually be a sports movie. It certainly hits a lot of the the usual sports movie notes. It, it lines up well. Thank you to everyone who, who messaged me on Twitter or Instagram and let me know that Pitch Perfect would make a good non-sports movie to cover. It, it certainly was. Um, one of my favorite guests this week, Mike Schubert, returns. Mike is the host of Potterless, as well as the new podcast game show Meddling Adults, which since we've recorded has dropped its first episode. I listened, and like everything Mike does, it's great. It was a really fun listen. I encourage you guys to subscribe. Uh, Mike's info is in the show notes. If you enjoy this episode, go check out his podcast. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, share this pod wherever you get your podcasts, and check out the new Big Screen Sports Facebook group. We're starting next week. I'm going to be taking one listener question per episode for upcoming episodes. I'll only be taking those from the Facebook group. Uh, It also serves as a great place to talk sports movies and get upcoming episode scheduling info. So check out that. Just search Big Screen Sports on Facebook. Also, make sure to check out the entire Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network for all the content you need to get you through this lack of live sports period, this quarantine period that we're currently living through. I hope everyone is safe and sane. I appreciate you taking the time to check out this weekly episode of Big Screen Sports. I think that's enough housekeeping. Let's go break down Pitch Perfect with Mike Schubert. Okay, today I am joined by a returning guest. He's joined me in the past to cover the Quidditch scenes of Harry Potter and High School Musical. He's back, the host of Potterless and the very new podcast, Meddling Adults, Mike Schubert. Mike, thank you so much for returning for the third time. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I love that my progression of podcast, sorry, I love that my progression of movies that I'm covering on this podcast has gone from definitely, gone from definitely a sports movie to 
Disney movie with sports to certainly not a sports movie, though, and I think you made the very astute observation, this is a sports movie that isn't about sports. It tracks very much <laughs> like a sports movie, but um, we've got some stuff to cover before we get into the, the movie we're covering. I mean, since we've last talked, you've gotten married, which yeah. is great. Uh, the world has gone insane and shut not down, as great. which is not great, <laughs> not great, but you're also launching a new podcast. Tell me about it. Yeah, so at the time this episode goes live, my new podcast, Meddling Adults, will also be live. So it is a show. It, so the podcast is a game show where I host and I have two guests going head to head to try to solve children's mysteries like Scooby-Doo, Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, and they are doing it for a charity. So each contestant comes in with a charity of their choosing. We have different money at stake. Our Patreon account is solely to raise money for that so that we can give out more money each episode. Uh, and I'm really excited. Those were some of the more fun elements of Potterless were me trying to solve the mysterious stuff. So now I'm getting guests to do it and trying to help people along the way, which feels important in these hashtag trying times. Yeah, as someone whose his child has recently discovered Scooby-Doo, this, uh. this is right in my alley. Yeah, right are you going to watch Scooby Scoob, the new theatrical release? Yeah, that, I'm sure that is going to be one of those things that I'm going to have to pay uh, $20 to stream, <laughs> and I'm going to happily do it because it's going to keep my child occupied for an hour and a half. It is, is well worth the money. But <laughs> let's talk about a movie that I did not watch with my child, the movie that we are covering today, the, the non-sports movie of the month on big screen sports is Pitch Perfect, the 2012 musical comedy starring Anna Kendrick, Brittany Snow, Skylar Aston, Rebel Wilson, and the god Ben Platt. Ben Got Platt. an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $115 million at the Ooh. U.S. box office. This movie was a smash. Spawned yeah. two sequels, was something of a phenomenon in 2012, and it does track as a sports movie. Mike, what was your experience, your first time seeing this movie? So I did not see it in college but i watched it while i was in college in 2012 i was a sophomore and what often happened in college was i wouldn't go to the movie theaters but then once stuff came out on streaming or people would find it on the internet we would watch it so this was one of those and i went to rice university and some of the big extracurricular things at rice was the acapella team and the improv comedy team which makes sense at a nerdy school i was on the improv team and the acapella team was the other like big deal. And I had a lot of friends on that acapella team. So it was a matter of time before we all watched it and stuff. And it was very interesting, the like knowing how acapella works and then watching a movie very, very incorrectly portray it. But at the same time, realizing that they had to to make it a movie. Uh, so I really enjoyed it the first time. I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun that they were making a movie about acapella and, and awkwardness. I think there were some things that didn't hit, but I thought it was funny. I thought the music was pretty good and I enjoyed uh, the film. I'm glad that you have that background knowledge of acapella. I do not at all. I'm sure. Oh we're yeah. I can give some insight in this recording. Um, I saw it around the, around the same time. I think we were probably in college around the same time. I saw it when it came out on streaming, it was this big phenomenon. It was like, you had to see it. Right. I saw it. I didn't remember being too crazy about it. And I did not pick it up again until last night. Uh, was my first watch. And I had gotten some DMs about, hey, Pitch Perfect is, is basically a sports movie. And it it has so many sports movie characteristics. There is redemption needed from a, a loss at a big event the year before. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a tryout montage. There's a training montage. There's an arch rival. There's a reluctant hero who has to be coerced to try out. There's a teammate jealous of a new person on the team. 
they use announcers as both legitimate commentary yes. and comedic relief. A team learns how to play as a team and change their style, and then there's a final game, quote unquote. So this is very much a sports movie about acapella. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I didn't even realize it and until you made that comparison, because one of my notes is, why do they have the broadcasters? And you're right, it's because this is just a sports movie. It's the same as like uh, like in Dodgeball, they're mm-hmm. the same thing. Dodgeball, um, Major League. Major League, yeah. Goon. Goon mm. has a great, uh, great commentator in that one, covered that one recently. Okay. Um, some opening questions for you, Mike, just right off the bat, and especially after a rewatch again a few years later, is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer movie for you? Hmm. I would go, oh, I would go all-star, but like all-star reserve, like what, like a player that it's like, yeah, okay. Kyle Lowry's on the all-star team, kind of all-star. Uh, I'm not like getting voted him in, in the fan vote situation, but you're happy he's there. Jason Tatum this year. You're like, yeah, you were pretty good. You had a good lead up to it. I think it's a very good movie. I'm not like actively seeking out a rewatch of it, but it's one of those things where if we're trying to decide a movie to watch and someone says pitch perfect, I'm not going to say no. See, I would say starter, but it has, it has the tools where if some things were changed with this player, um, maybe they, like they upped their three point percentage or they just started playing better defense mm-hmm. that they could be an all star, like a spot kind of like a spot starter all star. Yeah, like Bradley Beal, you're totally, saying. Yeah, just just, just didn't totally hit for me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. OK, another question I have for you, Mike, are you familiar with Wesley Morris, the film critic for The New York Times, his yes. Hollywood market correction theory? Uh, no, I'm not. But I do know of Wesley's work and he's a very good critic. He's he's fantastic, and I and I have heard this this theory before. I was first introduced to it with like um, on Bill Simmons's podcast or the Rewatchables or something. Mm-hmm. But he has a thing Hollywood market correction when one actor ends up having the career another once seemed destined to have. Oh, my okay. question for you: Did Ben Platt market correct Skylar Aston? Like in this oh. movie, because you think about it, like right now he's on a network TV show which seems to be doing well. That's great. It's not as though his career is tanked. But since Pitch Perfect, Ben Platt has won a Tony, been nominated for an Emmy, and has a Netflix special going up soon. And he is the hottest thing since sliced bread. He is incredible. He uh, posts, and since we've been in quarantine, he posts a new uh, song from his piano every Saturday, which is wonderful. Oh, that's so good. It's, oh, it's the best. It's, it's just the happiest thing. But my question to you, did, did Ben Platt take the career that Skylar Aston seemed kind of destined to have if you watched this movie? So I would say yes, but I think it's because consumption habits and the world changed. And you can see it in 2012 because Ben Platt was cast as he has a really good voice, but he looks kind of nerdy. And that's exactly the character he is playing in this film. But yeah. Now, in 2019, 2020, uh, it's we don't really care as much if someone's really talented. I think that takes precedence over someone has to be hot and then also talented, because look at the people they cast as the Barton Bellas. Everyone's attractive and the main people are like super hot. But what's her face is not Anna Camp is not good at singing like she sounds so nasally, but she's very pretty. So I think it was just 2012 of like, oh, the people who are going to succeed are the more attractive people like Skylar Aston or 
Britney Snow, etc. But I think the world has now come around where we don't necessarily care if someone is super hot. It's about the talent. Lin-Manuel Miranda is not an ugly person, but he's not Brendan Urie, you know? So I think that it's more of the world kind of grew into a place where someone like Ben Platt succeeds because he's more talented. And I'm glad that we're in that place. Yeah, he is fantastic. And I'm also, I, I don't think someone like Skylar Aston would have worked in The Politician, which I was big on. I really right. enjoyed the show. I enjoyed Ben Platt's performance in it. But it, it, it's, it's just very interesting when you watch this movie and you think about he is, he's not even second fiddle. He's like fifth fiddle in this movie. But yes. he's the most talented person in the movie. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about Skylar Essen as I do as the as Brittany Snow and Anna Camp in this, where they're both attractive but not good. Like, they're not particularly funny. They're not particularly talented. And look at the people who have succeeded from this movie is Rebel Wilson, who is funny, and uh, Ben Platt, who is talented. And I guess Anna, Kendri- Anna Kendrick's done pretty well, too, but... I think that this movie thought certain people were going to go. Like you were saying, they they anticipated the attractive people to succeed. And I think the talented people won out. I think, yeah, I think that's very much the case with this one. Looking back, and you know, in retrospect, um, let's do a, a quick, a few points from the IMDb trivia mm. um, and just try to get stuff that's interesting or relevant. Definitely don't hit up all of it. Um, the storyline between Bumper and Fat Amy is not in the script. Adam Devine and Rebel Wilson would improvise during their scenes together and Devine would often try to kiss her. This led to Devine and Wilson to create a backstory for their two characters and their relationship. The filmmakers thought the hostile sexual chemistry between the two was funny, which I agree with, Yes, and kept some of the scenes in the film, although according to the actors, there was a lot that was cut out, including a reference to a one-night stand. I include this in the trivia because I would have loved to have seen that. I think that that was only, that like weird chemistry was only helping the movie. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that they realized it after making it. I think during making it, they thought people will like Fat Amy. I don't think they realized people are going to love Fat Amy. And I think it actually ended up, by them not putting more of her and stuff like this in it, I think I think Pitch Perfect 2 is garbage. I think it sucks so bad that I didn't even see Pitch Perfect 3. Pitch Perfect 2 was all of them, the people making the movie, saying, what do people like? They liked the riff-off, and they liked Fat Amy. Let's make Pitch Perfect 2 the riff-off and Fat Amy. And that's all was in Pitch Perfect 2, so I think they overcorrected. I think that they messed up in this one by not putting as much of the silliness and the bumper stuff in there, and then Pitch Perfect 2 had way too much of that kind of stuff. Adam Devine and Rebel Wilson have arguably arguably the best chemistry of any two any pairing in this movie. I, I agree, except for maybe Ben Platt and singing. Yeah, Ben Platt <laughs> and singing are very compatible with each other. They will be together a long time and live a long and happy existence. And we're all better for it. As we exactly we are. Uh, the song Cups in the U.S., the song debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, at number 93. Uh, Ooh, Mike doesn't like Cups. This is one of my hot ending. takes. We'll get to it when we get there, but like, I think I think it's so overrated. By its 32nd week on the chart, it climbed to number six. And we will just roll right through that. Kill me. Um, this, is my, this might be my favorite. Upon seeing the title, Adam Devine thought that Pitch Perfect was a baseball movie and thus wasn't prepared <laughs> to sing a song at his audition. <laughs> The producers told him to sing any song, and he chose the Full House theme song. They were impressed, and he was hired as the role of Bumper. That's amazing. He's fantastic in this movie, and surprisingly, I didn't realize he can actually, you know, not not like sing-sing, but good enough to get by by singing Flo Rida in the beginning of the song. 
And that kind of comes out in the Righteous Gemstones, too, because he has to do a lot of that kind of singy. I don't Sing know. Sing talk. I, I yeah. am. I'm Catholic and grew up going to Catholic mass, Catholic school, etc. I don't even know the official term, but when it's like mm, Christ be with you, yeah, that kind of yeah stuff like that. <laughs> um, in the riff off scene, one of the categories is songs ruined by Glee, which I thought was funny. Oh gosh, yes, because we're, we're, I I I didn't see Glee. Um, I've never I watched. I watched one episode once because someone in college was watching it and I was so perplexed. The plot was so bonkers. So was was anyone in this movie from Glee? Uh, I think Anna Camp. There was some trivia on that I did not include. I think Anna okay. Camp. I think there were some cameos. Like Anna Camp, I think, cameoed in Glee. I think All a right. few other people might have. Yeah, because when that came up, I was wondering if it was a targeted thing to either do some sort of we're not Glee and we're fighting them or if it's like, ha, 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 so-and-so was in Glee. I will say I'm not sure this movie happens without the success of Glee. I don't I don't I have a lot to back that up, but I feel like Glee walks so this movie could run. I agree. I agree. I think it at least laid the groundwork for people enjoying remixes of songs that were different. I think YouTube at first started it with people doing acoustic covers of songs um, and just, oh, look, it's a rap song, but someone played it on guitar. That's interesting. Um, and then I know postmodern jukebox in college was a really big thing where it's like, oh, they take Lil John, but they make it sound like it's from a speakeasy. Uh, and then I think that Glee was the further step of what if we took a song and turned it into a theatrical performance? And I think that's what a lot of this movie is all the stuff mm -hmm. they do at regionals and the finals and all that. It's not just them singing. There are dance moves and acrobatics and human prop work and all this other stuff that I think Glee set the stage for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John Michael Higgins, who's the, the male commentator along with Elizabeth Banks played a member Gosh, of the so tone good. Rangers, the tone Rangers acapella group in the movie, the breakup, which oh. I think is a very good movie. I love the breakup. I think it's excellent. That's really interesting. And Elizabeth yeah. Banks, didn't she, was she the writer? The She did something. She was a, she was a producer, and the okay. role was actually written for Kristen Wiig, who couldn't do oh. it, and so Elizabeth Banks stepped in. Kristen Wiig would have been very good in that role. Eliz she would have been, but Elizabeth but Banks Elizabeth was Banks. really yeah. solid. She was She's really, good. really solid. She's good. Um, Anna Kendrick and Brittany Snow were completely nude while filming the shower scene. Kendrick really? stated that although she, they were initially nervous, the atmosphere had been hot and humid, they got comfortable and even refused to put their robes back on between takes. I don't have much more about that scene later in the podcast besides like Brittany Snow is, is she's bringing heat in that scene. She yes. is very aggressively sexual, but also, I mean, it, it's, it's quite the scene. Yeah. I had some notes of just how wild that scene was. And not to the point where it was gross, like a national lampoon movie. It did feel a little unnecessary, but I think what you're saying, her extreme confidence, which is the point of the scene, especially because she ends it looking down and then saying, oh, by the way, I'm really confident about all this. I think that turns it around and makes it funnier. But it is I one of the things I didn't remember was how long that scene is. They, they are naked together for multiple minutes and it is very uncomfortable. But that's a point. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of takes of that, of them harmonizing titanium. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one note, one other note. If you don't have any other notes about that scene, the one note that I do have from that is that she's singing Titanium. And I don't know how I've in my recollection, that song was huge. So it's not this big surprise thing like they make it. I don't know if this movie was filmed right after it came out, but she goes, you're singing Titanium, right? And then she goes, yeah. 
You know David Guetta? Seriously? I am nude. You were seeing Titanium, right? You know David Guetta? Have I been living under a rock? Yeah. That song is my jam. It's like David Guetta is enormous. And but definitely also was when at the I time. think about that, I believe Sia does the vocals on that song. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think about David Guetta when I hear that. I think so about the thing Sia. is, that was peak 2012. That was when David Guetta was doing, he did that, he did Who's That Sexy Bitch slash Chick, if you listen to the edited version. That is the peak of music producers making songs like Mark Ronson and those guys and then them getting the credit and then you didn't even know who sang it it didn't happen until Ellie Goulding like by 2014 2015 when songs started very much in the title saying featuring whoever uh, I remember it was a weird era of 2010 to 2013 where it was like all these producers would be on the songs and they wouldn't say who else was on it yeah, and like David Guetta was at the peak of, of pop music. It wasn't like he was a niche DJ. Yeah, because he did he did Who's That Sexy Chick? And then he also did uh, Where Them Girls At, which is just, oh, they're both yeah, exactly the same that. song. <laughs> you could have told me, you could play both for me. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing. You can sing one to the beat of the other. Exactly. The final bit of IMDb trivia, Ben Platt, who plays Benji, was given a leading role in the Chicago production of the Book of Mormon musical after the producers of that show saw this movie and then he would translate that into Dear Evan Hansen, mm -hmm. for which he would win a Tony for because he is a god. Yes. As speaking of IMDb trivia stuff, one thing, uh, the first thing I had to do when I was watching, I paused the movie, when I got to the scene where uh, Brittany Snow and Anna Camp are recruiting people. And I realized they do not look like college age people at all. So I Googled to find out what everyone's age in the main cast was at the time of filming. And Anna Camp was 29 when they recorded it, so definitely a college kid. Uh, Britney Snow was 26. Rebel Wilson was 32. Anna Kendrick was 26. Skylar Aston was 24. Those felt about right. Ben Platt was only 18 years old. He was perfect. He was perfect in every way. Yeah, he was it's the amazing. only college-age person, and it was it was great. But yeah, I was I was surprised that Britney Snow wasn't older, but I I felt Anna Kemp right on the money. I was like, this looks like a 30-year-old woman, and then she was 29. <laughs> I think Adam Devine was close to 30 as well. I mean, which is, it, it's another reason that it's like a, it's a sports movie that if if players are, if, yep. if the players are high schoolers or college kids, they're all going to be cast by, cast as older people. That's my favorite thing about Remember the Titans is that they're all 30. <laughs> oh, everyone, everyone. <laughs> Um, let's get into to best scene. I'm doing these chronologically. If I skip one of your favorites, by all means, let mm -hmm. me know. Okay. Um, the opening scene where they're doing, I saw the sign and it turns into projectile vomit. That was something I didn't remember. So like I uh, audibly went I like, wish. Oh. <laughs> I wish I didn't remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. She needs to see a doctor. That was it's one of, rough. I have a note. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a legitimate issue. Um, I jumped to the, then just the the acapella auditions. Uh, Since You've mm -hmm. Been Gone goes really hard. It does. Acapella. I, I, it was a good song. And I, that's the first instance of many, I think, where I got a little bit taken out of the movie because it wouldn't work. There's no world in which for an audition they make everybody sing the same song. But at the same time, I get it because it's better to make a montage out of it. And it is very funny. It's a really good scene. But part of my brain uh, is just screaming that there's no way that that would work that way. And you get an early glimpse of Ben Platt singing in that one. They yes, let, you do. let Ben Platt work a little bit. Out of sight, out of mind. Shut your mouth, I just can't take it. Shut your mouth, I 
My big issue with that song is when when Becca shows up late, they're just like, sing anything you want. And she's like, oh, I actually have this routine involving a cup. What? Oh, gosh. No, you don't. So stupid. So stupid. I Here I will give my, my cup song take. I think the cup song is incredibly overrated. I think that it is the singing version of the floss dance, where oh, it's not actually cool and it's not actually good. People just like find the formula of like, you know, taking the dance, the the dance or in this case, the little like tap, 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 whatever. And then the other thing is there. I don't think Anna Kendrick or these this movie invented that process of doing it with the cup. But now they are profiting off of it. I feel bad for whoever uh, may like started doing that. And then now it's getting basically trademarked by Pitch Perfect because that happened with flossing. My friend Hannah used to do that in college as a joke. It was like some dance she learned as a kid. And then all of a sudden that backpack guy does it on Katy Perry. And then he tries to trademark it and stuff. I don't know. It feels weird. There is some IMDb trivia about like the behind the scenes of that cup thing. And it, ah. yeah, it was definitely um, it's a combination of a children's rhythm. Rhythmic percussion game played with drinking cups with a song that dates back to the 1920s and 1930s, When I'm Gone, written by A.P. Carter and first recorded by his seminal folk country group, The Carter Family. I hope they get a lot of royalties from this movie and all of it charting, because it charting was ridiculous to me. Yeah, the song and the game were first combined in 2009 by the British group Lulu and the Lampshades. So I'd, I'd assume that they, they paid some royalties out good, for this good. song. Um, but yeah, no, it's the song was everywhere. And this was back before this was back when you still had to listen to the radio a little bit. Yep. Um, and it was on all the time constantly. Yeah. I think, um, I think part of it is just, it's not like that bad on its own, but the, the overplaying and the overhyped nature, I never understood cause it's good, but it's not number six on the charts. Good. No, no, absolutely not. Um, the next scene I have is the riff off. I love mm-hmm. a good acapella mashup. You get there's a lot of the the Mickey like a version. Hit me with your best shot, like the opener. I think it's the best. Um, Anna Kendrick rapping "No Diggity" sucks, but oh. singing it is fire. Yeah. So I also am not a fan of the riff off because of what has come from it, and specifically that is, I do a fair share of karaoke before the world uh, exploded, and there have been way too many times where two white girls get up on karaoke and they pick no diggity because they've seen pitch perfect and they forget that the first minute is rapping and they just stand up there for a minute mumbling through the rap until they finally get to go a shorty get down and it makes me really sad because that rap is good that song is good and i think the riff off just murdered no diggity that's a tough scene because uh, and, uh, you don't you don't want to hear someone doing rapping that badly. And Becca is honestly awful at it. Like, it, it's very cringy. You oh, think, like, I was like, oh, they're about to cut her off. Who can stop when Dre making moves, attracting honeys like a magnet, giving them orgasms with a mellow accent? Still moving the flavor with the homies Blackstreet and Teddy, the original rum shakers. Keep going. Shorty, get down, good lord. Baby, got them open all over town. Yeah, it's it's really bad, and the but the only good thing is that 
when she is rapping very white and very awkwardly and trying to be quirky and doing it slowly and making a face of like, how come no one else knows this song? There is a guy all the way in the back that goes, keep going. And that's the best. <laughs> that is the absolute best. Because that's what I was thinking is just, uh, just fucking get through this so that you can get to the chorus because I am dying from cringing. Because the when she actually starts singing, it's really good. Yes, it is so much better. And I do love that every single person, this is the most unbelievable thing of the riff off, is that everyone knows every part of every song, but no one knows what No Diggity is when she's doing the rap. And then once she does Shorty Get Down, everyone's like, oh yeah, I know every word to this song. <laughs> <laughs> this movie does, it does that with Anna, with Becca a few times to be like, oh, she's so edgy and she's so cool and she knows about this stuff that other uh-huh. people don't know about and it it tries to really hammer that home and it's it's a little tired. She doesn't work as an edgy character. She's played by Anna Kendrick to start. And then, yeah, some of the edgy stuff is like way too far. What does she say? Like, what's her line about she doesn't watch movies? Yeah, I have a thing about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I've got a whole I've got a whole thing about that about that character. Also, I can't remember when is the is it after the the auditions? Or is it after the riff off when we see that the revelation that Benji did not make any team and he's in his room singing along but not a part of it? Uh, I, I think that the first thing is when they do the initiation and you have the initiation montage, they remove the hoods of the people um, in the Treblemaker thing. And it's Skylar Aston and then some other dude. And then he goes, not Benji? Yeah, yeah, that the scene of him in the bed, like just singing along, is very tough. That hurt my heart. Yeah, because um, everyone, no matter who you are, you know how it feels to be excluded, and that was one of the more emotional parts of the movie. I think oh. there's a this movie tries for some emotional stuff that doesn't really land. That just small little thing landed very well. That hit, and it really hit for me too because my improv team, I failed to get in three times. Uh, I auditioned three times and got callbacks and then didn't get it. Uh, And it was really hard because I really wanted to be on it. I thought I was very funny and all of that. And then I finally made it in the the spring of my junior year. But yeah, it was it was rough. I remember after the third time, just like crying in my bed for like an hour because I was like, why do I keep doing this and keep getting so close and then failing? Uh, uh, And I sympathize with Benji a lot there. Yeah, there's no lonelier feeling in the world than just not making something that you were gunning for. I think we've all uh-huh. felt it in some form or another. Another reason why this is a sports movie. A hundred percent. The next scene I have is the the semifinals performance. Oh, I think yes. up to the blame it on the boogie might have been the best solo performance of the movie up to that point. Like that that kid is really good. He's very talented. I think the rest of them are really good. He gets a little too hammy with his singing like it's a little too like yeah like a little too uh doing some vocal runs where i'm not gonna re-listen to it but he is incredibly talented i think it's one of the earliest instances of like wow this kid's good which again is the point because then they have to look into it etc yeah because again benji the angel finds out that he's a high schooler Mm -hmm. and much like a sports movie this is the equivalent of finding out someone lied about their age in a little league movie or did steroids in uh you know a baseball movie whatever it is exactly exactly the next scene i have and this one is quick is when jesse tells off becca because we stand a king who understands that he deserves to be treated with respect yeah we just I, we I stand anyone who deserves 
who who knows that they deserve to be treated with respect just like anyone else and he's not the entire movie i just really enjoyed that yeah because I think other than good. that he sucks up to her the yes whole movie. i agree i agree i think that he does a good job of be it it's like it's like make makes me wish that the the girlfriend character in all these other movies about dudes would be more like that where he is justified in where he's angry and stuff and i feel like you don't get a whole lot of that usually you know the the love interest has got such a a short end of a stick story and i feel like his is more developed than that yeah most love interests get walked on over Mm -hmm. which is which is a shame um, the last scene I have is the finals performances, which Gosh. just like a sports movie is usually the the best scene, the, mm-hmm. the most exciting scene. You get Ben Platt, the God. Mm. Um, Skylar Essen's really great. He's really he great really in that performance. Is. Um, ben Platt literally steals. It's like Skylar Essen literally ushers in Benji to to take his career. Like right <laughs> he's just like here here would you would you like to star on broadway here you go come come in take and take my future um the bella's <laughs> performance is good but it's just not as good it is not as good it is a shame this was the the hot take that sparked me being on this episode as i tweeted about that we need a true crime documentary series about how the troublemakers were robbed from winning the final but i i think uh, and especially upon watching it I, I my first interest when you see the Troublemakers final is that wow okay Skylar Essen's really good and then Benji comes in and is somehow better and then you go oh my like he does a very good job and then Ben Platt just comes in and dunks on him <laughs> it's I mean it, it's fantastic uh, I mean in do you did I miss any of your favorite scenes and do you have do you have a favorite it's just like in every sports movie it's tough to pick against the final game and in this point the final performances and i think this movie is best it is best when people are performing and singing that's what that's the the emotion behind this movie it's the best part of this movie it's i think it's tough to pick against those final performances yeah i think you've got it for all the scenes all the other notes i have are just like little little things in between them so we can we can cover those at another point but as far as like all the big picture scenes yes i agree i think you got everything and yeah like a lot of sports movies you're waiting for the scene where they have a game and i think with this you're just you're waiting for them to sing and those are the, the those are the most enjoyable parts of the film Absolutely. Let's take a a quick break here from our sponsors and get back with Best Quote. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is finally back and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, and we are back. Let's get into best quote. Right off the bat, this isn't a super quotable movie in the terms, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sense of like quotes from the script that are impactful. There is a lot of quick, quippy stuff, right? Like like jokes. Those you wouldn't consider like that to be a great quote. Like 
I think everything that Lily says is great. The, yeah. the weird things, like, I was born with gills like a fish. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys want to see a dead body? I did a stint at County, and then I ate my twin yeah. in the womb. Uh, <laughs> that stuff is good. I tried to I tried to pull a couple that were actually had some meat on them and weren't just, like, uh, just a, a crack. Um when Fat Amy says why she goes by Fat Amy, yeah, so twig bitches like you don't do it behind my back. I'm pretty uh-huh. sure that was in the trailer, and it was the that's the reasoning behind the whole character, like being able mm-hmm. to call her Fat Amy. It's like if I own this, I can do this. Yes, I agree. I think that that was one of my top contenders for best line. But another one from Fat Amy that I do really like is when they're all doing the confessions. I really enjoy that she confesses that her real name is Fat Patricia. <laughs> Because it does just not have the same ring to it, whether it's Fat Patricia or Fat Patty. It's it's funny that you have this person who's so overconfident and she's so much so that she calls herself Fat Amy. But then you learn that the thing that she is not confident about is that her birth name is kind of silly. In retrospect, I I enjoyed Rebel Wilson in this movie a lot more than I had remembered. I agree. I agree. Like, I think I had it in my mind that, oh, all these, you know, like the fat Amy and all the quotes and all the stuff that was in the trailer was really overplayed. And she's actually like, she's actually pretty good. Yes. Um, I have two, I have two Ben Platt quotes, Benji quotes, um, when he's, when he first meets Jesse. And just so you know, I'm not a total nerd. I'm also into close up magic, which is, <laughs> which is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. And then when he is showing him the troublemakers, uh, the messiahs of Barden. Well, not including the frat guys or athletes or actual cool people, which acknowledges like the fun niche world yeah. that you're in in this movie. I really did appreciate that. It reminds me of another time. It's during the semifinal. The broadcasters refer to the troublemakers as the bad boys of acapella, which is a line I didn't remember when I was in Seattle. Me and my buddy Daniel Kinneman did a two man improv thing. We would perform regularly. And our our shtick was that we would act like. Uh, and call ourselves the bad boys of improv. And we would try to like act all serious in our introduction and stuff. And I found it very funny that the movie did the same kind of thing where by saying the bad boys of something that is not intimidating at all, it's so funny. I've got another one from the the commentator from from Higgins. Uh, the Sacapella is proving that it doesn't get better for everyone after high school. Because of his <laughs> delivery, it's funny, but I low-key like the sock puppet performance of fu i actually yeah. kind of enjoyed yeah. that mm-hmm. no it's not that bad and then the last one i have is just it's i tried to avoid just doing like the little cracks but um when the troublemakers are on their bus and divine divine's character says cisco live best performance i've ever seen <laughs> I, I <snorted. laughs> that's so good yeah i think this movie excels in little quips uh, and not necessarily big comedic moments, but just little jabs throughout. And that is exemplified in the broadcasters. Everything they do, their little quips at the end are really funny whenever they interject. And I think that that is the funniest parts of the movie is just little, little side joke. I agree. Do you have a favorite quote? Like, I think the Cisco Live might That's, be the best one. Yeah, I think Cisco Live. I, th- I think I'll stick with Fat Patricia. I think it's just so funny. But Cisco Live is so solid. At the same time, I totally would see Cisco Live if I was not 12 when the Thong song came out. Oh, I would absolutely go see Cisco Live. <laughs> That'd just be an experience. That's something to tell your grandkids about. I mean, his music video for the Thong song, he was on the Matrix-style wires where he was flying and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like a live performance would bring some of those same elements. 
I wonder what he's up to now. I might I might go down a Google when <laughs> we're done recording. I wonder if his hair is still silver. Oh, that was the best. <laughs> that was the coolest thing about him. Um, let's get into the most authentic and least authentic aspects of the film. Typically, in a normal episode, it's for you know the most unrealistic unre- or unrealistic sports action, which is a little easier to see just from the from the naked eye, just like watching. You know, you, you know sports when you see it. But I think being realistic and relatable. In a, in a normal movie is still an asset. It's still necessary for us to appreciate movies. We have to feel some sort of authenticity or realism or just something we can identify with on an actual level in a movie. Did you have something for what was the most authentic for you? Ooh, I think I think most authentic might have been Benji being sad about not getting in just because of the, I, the personal connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. That um, I, I kind of I have a theory about this that I want to kick to a little bit later. But that feeling of of being left out. Yeah. Very authentic. Um, the Breakfast Club being a dorm room movie date is also a very oh, authentic. Yeah. Hey, let's snuggle up on your twin bed and watch a movie on a laptop in the dorm room and you've never seen it. And oh, look, look at me. I'm, I'm showing you the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a move that I had in college. It was that. And I think I did it with high school musical twice. So that would be the thing is talk about some movie that was kind of good, but mostly silly. And then be like, Oh, we have to, it's just such an easy, yeah, it's such a college move. It's just such a easy way because you don't have a nice TV. And at least in that time, there was no easy way to hook up your laptop to the TV. And that, yeah, it was always a good excuse to to cuddle up and and watch something absolutely what do you have for the least authentic part of this movie i think the least authentic is just how not like acapella the way they do acapella is and part of this is because a lot of my friends are doing acapella so i knew some of it but just things like when they have to decide what songs they're going to do. So they go back to the pool and it's like, okay, you guys just start singing something and then let's all just remix on the fly. A couple of my closest friends were the music directors. I don't know what the technical term is. They did all of the sheet music and stuff for the acapella group. And it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to take a song and then decide, okay, so the bass is going to be this person or group of people singing and these are going to be the notes and then at this point they're going to turn into backup and here's what the harmony it takes so much work to make it sound good and i get that you can't do this for the movie but they do just kind of stroll in and then it's just let's sing let's sing bruno mars oh i know this other song oh i also know the lyrics we're all in perfect harmony we're both doing the exact same note you know it's just all of that is just it's too perfect there is so much seamless complex singing yeah in this film Mm-hmm. And I get it's it's a movie and you just kind of have to do it. So I understand it. But some of it is just so extreme that not at one point do they even show them. And you could put this in some sort of montage scene, but you never see anyone that sings a cappella preparing the song or even reading sheet music. They're just in a room singing. And it's, yeah, it's bananas. Yeah, it's very much. I didn't put anything. I didn't put that down because I didn't have that. Didn't have the insight for acapella but even on the surface it seemed very very seamless especially in like the riff off right it's like suddenly they have this perfect routine down to a science just on on the fly 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, what I had for least was the troublemakers got robbed. I thought it was very oh. apparent that their performance was better. God, yeah, that that is also true. And the the stats prove it. I made that tweet, and it, a lot of people agreed. And uh, if you look on YouTube, the the number of views that the final performance of the Bellas is at 11 million views, and the troublemakers is at 26 million views. So uh, I think that kind of speaks for itself. That says everything. Um, Let's get into what worked about this movie. What made this one enjoyable in your perspective? What are some things that stand out that we haven't haven't quite covered yet? So something that I didn't realize, and maybe this is just because this time I watched it on my laptop with headphones in, is that the mixing of this movie is incredible. I don't know if they won any sort of sound design Oscar or got nominated, but they should have because they did a really good job of making the songs, whether they actually sang them on camera or recorded them separately, however they did it, it felt like, for the most part, aside from when you get into unbelievable things like Britney Snow learning how to sing bass for nothing, that could also be a contender of the least believable. Like, fuck that shit. Um, But I think that the mixing from the shower thing to the riff-off to the final performances, it actually does sound like it's there. And on the contrary... My wife just watched the new Mary Poppins movie on Disney Plus, Mary Poppins Returns. And that one, it's so apparent that they recorded in a studio and are lip syncing. And I don't know if it's because the audio quality is so different from the dialogue or if people are just not as good at lip syncing and stuff. But that really took me out of it. And these felt a lot more seamless. I agree. It's it does seem like they are. Even if they're they're likely not. I mean, I'm sure everything yeah. was, was background recorded, but it does seem like these are authentic people actually singing as we see them. Um, the soundtrack in this one, it's just, it is fun to it's hear good. a lot of fun covers. It's really good. The covers are really solid. Mm-hmm. The and singing you, is really fun. Uh-huh. And I don't think you appreciate it as much as when you watch the actual movie because what's what I again because I was watching this with headphones the surround sound element they actually match it to where people are so if you watch the final performance uh you'll hear the beatboxing on the right side because that's where the beatbox guy is standing on stage and stuff like that so they actually do some creative sound surround sound stuff too which I thought was fun well, I know what I'm doing now when I'm <laughs> recording. I'm, I'm, I'm getting on YouTube, although I'll probably just end up watching uh, Ben Platt's Tony performance instead of the, the final of this movie. I mean, not um, bad. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, some of the other things I had that, that worked, uh, that we kind of touched on them, but some of the char- Divine and Rebel Wilson, they're both good in this movie. They're mm-hmm. each shooting a lot of shots. They're probably shooting the most shots of anyone in the movie yeah. as far as those quick quips, but there's a lot of good ones. Um, I think Brittany, Brittany Snow is throwing some heat really early in this movie. I would have liked to see her character a bit more fleshed out than just like the nodes yeah. subplot. The, she kind of takes a back seat. I think this movie is better if you delete Anna Camp. I, I don't, am, I don't I am think, all for that. I don't think she does anything. She's not good at singing. Her whole story arc is just she got nervous and did this obnoxious vomiting thing that is completely unrelatable uh it's i think it would be better if if you have britney snow and you just give her all the anna camp stuff where like you don't need two people it's just her she's running the bellas now and she's trying to live up to expectations something else happened like it could be just as simple as her her voice cracked 
um, during it, she had to hit this really big high note or something. And then rather than throw up everywhere, you know, her voice cracked and that was it. Um, I think that I don't think Anna Camp brings anything to this film. Not that it's her fault. It's the character, I would say. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And it's the same. I'm going to say some some of the same things about Anna Kendrick. It's the character. It's how it was written. But at the beginning... You think it's going to be about 50-50 with, with Brittany Snow's character, with Chloe and Aubrey, with Anna Camp. And it ends up being about 80-20 in favor mm-hmm. of Anna Camp. And mm-hmm. if we were going to go 80-20 with one of those, I would rather the Brittany Snow character, who's a little more easy to root for, mm-hmm. and then Anna Camp, then Aubrey's maybe her very high-strung you know, friend who cares a whole lot about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked Brittany Snow early in this movie. It's kind of a bummer that she wasn't fleshed out a little more. Yeah, it feels like she disappears until the node thing, and then she becomes a magical bass singer. It feels like she is just really isn't there. Yeah, it's really noticeable that she takes a back seat for the, pretty much the middle part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- what else did you have that were? I love the cameo of the Clefs with Donald Faison and, and Joe Latrulio. It's really like, that's, good. That's great. That's, I, that, that was really surprising. Yeah, I, I now that I've been watching a bunch of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it was, it was surprising to see him in the mix. Um, as far as other things that work well, I, th- I think the little humor works well. I think the broadcasters, even though it is so unbelievable that someone would listen to broadcast while you're listening to people singing because you would just want to listen to them singing. I think that uh, for the purposes of making the movie more interesting, I think it's a brilliant move and I think it works really well because I don't need to listen to the full verse of Right Round by Flo Rida. It's not that good of a song. So if you have them making jokes about the troublemakers being sexy and stuff and then you cut to the chorus, it's good. They do a good job of using the broadcasters to yada yada over the stuff that doesn't matter and put it in the background. And I appreciate that. And then when it comes to the finals and the performances are really good and you don't have to yada yada, they don't bring in the broadcasters at all. And it's really smart. It's one of my favorite sports movie tropes when it's done well. And in this movie, it's done really, really well. Mm -hmm. Let's go into what didn't work. And Mm -hmm. I want to start off the the biggest thing for this movie and it's why this movie isn't an all-star for me and it's why in a lot of spots it doesn't fully work is becca is not a character i want to root for neither is aubrey yeah they are not becca is insufferable she is a (laughs) and it's like i enjoy anna kendrick and we we talked like right before we started recording Mm -hmm about Anna Kendrick and going into this movie, she's on a really good run. She does up in the air in 2009, which is a fantastic movie. 50, 50. There are two movies I think are really good in 2012. She's also an end of watch, which not as many people saw, but end of watch is really, really good. And then she does this. So it's not as though she doesn't have the talent or the chops, but this character like the doesn't like movies thing that sucks. She's really shitty to Skylar Aston the whole time. She's legit rude to almost everyone. They mistake being an edgy DJ for just being able to be like downright unpleasant to people. It's really, it comes off really badly. I don't, I don't, they need, they need an angle for her besides being talented of giving a reason to root for. That's like, you're supposed to root for Barry Bonds because he was talented, even though he was an ass. Mm hmm. That's yeah. I think that's that's my rant, but that's my biggest problem with the movie is that Becca and Aubrey, you can't root for them. I agree. I agree. I think there's nothing about Aubrey that is interesting. And I think for Becca, it's falls in the middle of she just like doesn't really pick a thing. 
and it's just like in this middle where she is not edgy enough where she's not really edgy she's fake edgy i don't watch movies and all i'm a dj and all this stuff that isn't really edgy um or i don't know i'm good at singing but i don't like it or whatever i think that they could have made that more interesting yeah it, it sucks and i i i don't like that this is the case but like I think that the all of the dude characters are more interesting. Okay, like, so it, <laughs> I was going to ask you this. I, I was going to ask this at the end about improving the movie, but let's just get into it. Is this movie better if it is about Jesse and Benji and the Troublemakers? <sighs> it it doesn't have to be about them, but I think I think if you, I think. I think this movie suffers from having too many characters and not focusing enough on the interesting ones. I think Fat Amy, I think Benji, and I think I, Bumper's really funny uh, as comedic relief as well. I think that if you focus more on them, it's better. So it doesn't just have to be like the the Benji and uh, Jesse show. But I think that the Troublemakers are really interesting. And that's what made me really not like Pitch Perfect 2 is that they're barely in it. And then none of them are in Pitch Perfect 3. So I didn't see it. Uh, that was well, like Ben Platt is off doing bigger and better, better yeah. things. But, but they just like straight up. And I, I remember Skylar Aston being interviewed about this. And he was like, yeah, they just like started making the movie and didn't invite us to be in it. So that's how we found out kind of thing, which sucks. And that put me over the edge. But yeah, it's not because they are dudes. Uh, and I, I don't like that this is the case. Uh, but I think that some of these characters on the Barton Bellas just aren't as interesting. I just... I feel a lot better at the end watching Jesse and Benji have this this great performance and this yeah. blow up for Benji than I do Barton having a good because I haven't really been rooting for Becca much in the movie and neither I have I haven't been rooting for Aubrey either. I get that she mm-hmm. cares a lot about it and it's very important to her, but I think there's a, a way to make her character a little more likable. She is miserable for most of the movie. Yeah, and I think that's something that came out when I was when I tweeted about this and all these people are like, oh, but the Bellas, blah, blah, blah. The emotional, if you're trying to make this a sports movie, there's like part of the thing about wanting a team to win is you have the more emotional background you want the titans to win because they overcame racism and that is a big fucking deal so when they can do that and win and they overcome that and rev getting injured and all this stuff when they win it is so satisfying for the bellas you have this vomit thing that is not relatable because it's so comically over the top you have the nodes thing which isn't relatable because it no one really knows what it is they make weird i don't think age well uh, AIDS jokes to it when they talk about it. I think that's one of my things that didn't work very well is when she talks about the notes. It's very much a I have AIDS thing, which I thought was gross. But the, all of the like reasons you're supposed to root for the Bellas are these things that aren't believable or relatable or both. And then on the flip side for the Troublemakers, you have Benji who didn't make it and then but deserves it and then finally gets on and then kills it. You have... Skyler, Aston, uh, Jesse, you have him being put into the the spotlight all of the sudden rapidly. He's now the leader because Bumper just freaking left to be on a TV show or whatever it is. Uh, like, and he spent the movie being inherently a good guy who yeah. you can root for. Right, exactly. So I think that in addition to the performance of the troublemakers being better. I think that their story is more interesting and believable. So I think that the emotional connection there is stronger, which really just contributes to their final performance being better. Uh, Cause we, we care more. I don't care as much about the Bellas just because I don't 
find a connection, and maybe it's because I'm a boy, but I don't really find any connection to any of the characters. Yeah, I don't think that was... I watched... I, I did my rewatch with my fiancé, so we have... We have uh, one woman's okay, opinion good, on this. Good. But she didn't find she didn't find Becca or or Aubrey likable either. There okay, was, there's just not much there to root for. I, you I, mentioned I, something aging badly as well. Mm-hmm. This movie has we again we talked about this before we started recording. There's three real things. It's it's fat shamey. It's, mm-hmm. it's gay shamey. It's slut shamey with, yeah. with the girls with the Bellas. It's that it would be very different if this movie were released now. Yeah, and I think that also contributes when you look at some of the side characters on the Bellas. What is Fat Amy's thing? Oh, she's fat and she's funny. And she's actively bringing attention to her being fat. Okay, what about, I, I don't know any of the names. So the the black girl with the cool haircut. What's her whole thing? She's very clearly a lesbian, or at least interested in women. That is heavily implied throughout the whole movie. And then... Fat Amy's whole joke when they're doing the confessions is like, oh, she's going to confess about being a lesbian. And then she offhandedly mentions it, which I guess in 2012 was a storyline. But now it's just, yeah, sometimes girls like girls. Uh, let's all get over it. That, I think, is a classic trying to hold 2012 to 2020 standards. Um, and then the other girl, the the sex one that they just keep slut shaming her the whole time. And that's her whole character thing. I think that sucks is that some of these characters just get developed or just like watered down to being nothing or a cliche joke or whatever. And I think there's there there are ways to make them more interesting. Give Anna Kendrick a backstory of why she doesn't actually like singing. Maybe she was like forced to do pageant stuff as a kid and then she rebelled against it. Like something more believable where we have some sort of connection than just these super surface level things. Yeah. It's either super surface level. It's either super surface level or it's something that we can't believe like the ridiculous vomit, the node thing, someone not liking movies as a (laughs) form of media. Like how are we supposed to connect to any of these? Yeah. The only form of background angst like source of background angst we get for becca is when she's having that conversation with her father after she gets arrested and he says the thing about i you know i know it didn't work out for me and your mom and it's like wait is that why she just doesn't like anyone because her parents got divorced is that the only thing you're giving this care this character it just there's a lot of tough character development things Mm -hmm. you know just like you mentioned like in the regionals the announcers are commenting on the physical appearance of the bellas and basically Mm -hmm. like very much body shaming them and again 2012 is a lot different than 2020 but it's like is this really the move Uh, yeah Um, and that was even one of the one of the first things that the bella says when they're doing the things where they're handing out the papers for auditions is anna camp is like we can find 12 girls with rockin hot bods and killer vocals and i guess eventually the first person they talk to is fat amy and then they're like oh we don't have to just get hot people but why why was this a concern also, it's acapella. Do you know what people who traditionally do acapella look like? I don't know what we're going for of why beauty is a factor here. Yeah, and how does Ben Platt not make the troublemakers in the Gosh, first place? If you're that's... acknowledging that <laughs> that people like don't have to be super good looking at this point or cool, and like Ben, that, I'm not saying that about Ben Platt, but his character is he does up close magic. Like, how does he not make the troublemakers, especially after that performance of Since You've Been Gone? He would have blown everyone out of the auditorium. So I'm so glad you brought it up because a tweet that someone 
replied to mine with was, lol, I liked the part where Ben, I, lol, I liked the part where they didn't want Ben Platt on their acapella team. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the most unrealistic <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> and I guess it works in the movie and, and that's also part of the point of it. But I don't know. I could kind of see a college group do that. There was a buddy of mine who didn't make the acapella team at Rice until his senior year. And he's a bit of an awkward dude. And I remember that was a factor. Chemistry is an important thing in these kind of groups. But if someone's that good at singing, you just got to let them in. Yeah, it's especially on the other side. The Bellas are like Britney Snow just keeps vouching for Becca, even though she is a like we've said, a bummer of a person. But like, mm-hmm. oh, she's talented. She can sing like, oh, Ben Platt, has, Benji has Tony winning talent. Right. But nah, he's too awkward. He's too awkward for our acapella troupe. I think that's a good segue to what is typically the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Award for best and worst on-screen athlete in a normal episode. I've got this down as best and worst on-screen job depiction. In this movie, <laughs> I would think it is just who is the the best acapella singer. Mm-hmm. I think Ben Platt is easily your, your Kevin Costner for best best singer ben platt's very good i would also like to give some love to indian rapper beatboxer guy on the troublemakers because that is a very important part of an acapella troupe is the person that does the instrumentals that's another unbelievable thing is that they have more than one person doing the instrumentals in a lot of these you'll have multiple people beatboxing which doesn't work uh but i think he does a really good job of doing some beatboxing and coming in for the raps his his rap during the final is really good he does a very solid job of it the character is donald i'm not gonna do i'm not gonna be rude about his name i would just butcher it completely um but he the the actor does does a fantastic job Mm -hmm. i agree and from watching it, my wife, Kelly, pointed out that he apparently is in the Mindy Project and also plays a rapper. Oh, so good for him. That? I mean, I, I also think like Kevin G walks so this guy could run. <laughs> uh, let's go into the the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. I have a few nominees. Uh, John Michael Higgins and Elizabeth Banks is Galen mm-hmm. John, mm-hmm. you know, it, just in the spirit of Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks from Dodgeball, really. Um, ben Platt is Benji. Them having Ben Platt Gosh. In this role, just like right when he gets going, it's like the the angels were able to pay Mike Trout league minimum for three years. <laughs> That's what they have with Ben Platt here. Um, yeah. Rebel Wilson is Fat Amy. Not sure we call her Fat Amy in 2012. Right. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass is Tommy. I just have to acknowledge him. <laughs> the, the character of McLovin is very important to me. Uh, Superbad's a very important movie to me. Uh, I just could not mention him that he's in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, Adam Devine is Bumper Allen. Bumper Allen, incredible Gosh, name. really good. Uh, Hannah May Lee as Lily. Uh-huh. She's uh, really incredible. Good. The Snow Angel in the Puke <laughs> is, <laughs> is iconic. Uh, yeah. Did I miss any of your favorites? No, no, not really. I, I think you, I think you hit it with everybody. Um, but yeah, the fact that the fact that Ben Platt is not technically top billing in this movie, and it made sense because at the time this was his first thing. It's just so funny to look back. It is Steph Curry first contract levels of humor situation going on where he is very clearly the MVP, but is not getting paid all of the money. Um, and yeah, I think he comes in as the pinch hitter. Uh, he's he's like I'm trying to think of uh, of a relevant sports thing, but you know, kind of the thing where someone go gets injured and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be so much worse. And then he's actually 30 times better. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's the easy winner for best supporting character. 
and then going into what I've been calling with these non-sports movie, movies the big moment. Um, it's kind of you know sports movies have the big chill moment. I guess mm-hmm. I guess I can just keep it the big chill. I really I, yeah. I don't know I mean, why I changed it. Speaking of chill, the easy pick for this is something that I am not exaggerating. One hundred percent success rate of getting goosebumps when Benji comes out during the final performance. I've got the magic in me Every time I touch that track It turns into a bolt Now everybody knows I've got the magic in me When I hit the floor The girls come snapping at me Now everybody wants some same. I get same. goosebumps every single time. I love that when he brings the microphone, he does a little of the close hand magic to make it come out. I love that the song is about magic, so it gives more emotional connection. His voice is angelic. Everyone else adding in the ooh in the background is really good. Got that moment, just consistent goosebumps 100% of the time it's the only moment like that in this movie for me but it's really good and mm-hmm. I think it makes for a clean Ben Platt sweep yes. in these categories so he just, <laughs> oh yes he's yeah. just kind of owning this movie with very little screen time which is very I think very even if his career had just had not been what it was I think in this movie it's still very apparent how talented he is yeah and it's funny just the difference of this is something we discussed before recording is that this whole movie was a setup of Anna Kendrick's about to explode. And it's not that she's done poorly since, but she's not become Lin-Manuel Miranda levels of beloved like everyone thought she would because, oh, she's talented and she's funny, but she's also attractive, but she's down to earth. Like, I, I like Anna Kendrick. I think she's very funny. When she does interviews, she's solid, but she's not exploded into the stratosphere. And then Ben Platt, who's just a side character in this movie, is now Ben Platt. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a choice of just career choices or wanting to do... Anna Kendrick has made a very nice career for herself. She's constantly working. She's had, like, Trolls, especially if you have kids, is a massive success. Right. Um, She was in that movie, A Simple Favor, which I think did really well a couple years ago. She has been consistently working. Um, You know, she's just... She's very present. She's very funny. It's not as though she hasn't gone off, but she hasn't... I think it is fair to say that her best her best films, her best work came before this movie. Yeah, I mean, no one in recent years has said, oh my God, did you see Anna Kendrick in blank? Like, she's doing well. It's a very Carmelo Anthony type thing. Signed a big contract, had success, did fine. People still like him, but no, no championship for Melo, no big, like she hasn't been nominated for anything fantastic. No, and maybe she's she's done smaller stuff. There's a lot of credits. She's had a lot of credits in the last eight years. Maybe she's done smaller stuff that she's been fantastic in because she does have that in her. But as far as the big name stuff, like she was in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. That movie's Ugh. fine. Yeah. It's, it's just okay. Like mm-hmm. you were expecting a little more from her and then Ben Platt goes and just blows up. <laughs> um, on, the, on that note, how would you improve this movie and make it a strong all-star yeah i I think i've touched it i think i've touched on it throughout this episode but i think that you i think you reduce or combine some characters so that you can focus on the more 
interesting ones. I think that a lot of the the stuff complaints we've had is just like comedy never ages well, and uh, this is an eight year old movie, and that can be a big difference in making something good uh, or have a lot of rewatch value. But I think if you combine the Anna Campbell Britney Snow characters, that makes it better. I think that if you give more attention to the troublemakers um, and Fat Amy, I think it's better. I think that this movie's a little not, I don't know, it's just the more interesting stuff needs more shine, and I think that's what makes it better. Yeah, they've got their hands in a lot of jars in this right. one, and they just need to need to close a couple, put them away. Um, Becca needs more redeeming qualities than just uh-huh. being talented. She needs a better uh, backstory. Exactly. Yeah, she just needs to be a little more fleshed out other than I'm an edgy DJ. Yeah. There just needs to be more there. Um, let Ben Platt cook a little more in that final. Mm-hmm. When he mm-hmm. gets cut off for the rapping, I was kind of like, yeah, we we you could have just let him go. Could have yeah. just just let him just let him cook a little more in general. It's good when he comes back and does the harmonies. Um, I also think if you they this movie was very clearly made in 2012 because the song listing the performances are good, but a flow write a song, a gym class hero song, like. Not, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. They could have picked better stuff. It was very much house party during my junior year of college stuff that didn't, the songs didn't age well. There's I not w- a lot that's still listened to. Yeah, I think, and this is another unbelievable thing is, I think acapella troops, from seeing acapella in college, it is a lot of, it's a mix of singing songs that are current at the time, but then also singing some classic songs. The trademark song, of Rice's improv group was doing Africa by Toto, which is great uh, and now has since become a meme of a song. But it's just a classic. I think that if they had done a couple more throwback stuff, it would have been better. I also think this movie is a disservice to I Saw the Sign by Ace of Base, which fucking slaps. And and the beginning, they make it the butt of the movie. Exactly. The first performance is really good. Like, yes, you probably shouldn't do it every single time year after year, but it's really good. And it's also just their performance, which is, again, the point of the Bellas is that it's so boring and Anna Kendra comes in and spices it up. But I saw the sign is not boring. That performance is just so bad because their dances are gross and uh, the ooh, ooh is like they make it so boring. And I feel bad because I really like that song a lot. Well, watching the movie in retrospect, some of the best performances are songs that have aged as well as have yes, aged better yes. than the movie. The in the in the riff off when they go Mickey like a virgin hit me mm-hmm. with your best shot. Those right. are all songs that are still relevant thirty years after. Let's they talk came about out sex is reason. really good. Yes, no diggity is good. That was the, speaking of let's talk about sex. One of my favorite lines is the category they go. This category is songs about sex, and then Anna Camp's character goes sex. Every song is about sex. Anna Camp, come on. <laughs> I know it's. They, I mean, she's just she's the toughest hang. Yeah. Just the toughest of tough hangs. She was married to Skylar Aston. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. I, I was going to put that in the IMDb <laughs> trivia and then they got divorced. So I, yeah, I, I felt, like, yeah, yeah, I felt bad. Not, they started not dating. I, apparently they started dating right after this movie and then they got divorced a couple years ago. Well, I mean, Tyler or Skylar Aston in this movie seems like a great guy. Seems like it'd be a great hang. Great. He seems great like husband. a nice person. I did. Yeah. I do think uh, he looks like a nice, not douchebag Dane Cook. Uh, so much, so much. I'm so, never gonna be able to unsee that. <laughs> so much so when this when this movie came out, I'd never seen this guy in anything else. So I, 
I Googled is Jesse from <laughs> from Pitch Perfect, Dane Cook's little brother. <laughs> it's like, no, that's Skylar Acid. He's a different human. Yeah, well, if everyone listening wants a really fun Google wormhole, Google Dane Cook brother oh, because that's God. a hell of a story. Uh, wait, he has a... Oh, I didn't know he had a brother. I thought we were oh. just talking about how Dane Cook is dating a 20-year-old or whatever. No, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's gross. But Dane Cook has... Dane Cook's brother was his money manager for years. And oh, and he Dane, screwed him over and yes, stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's an incredible story. Gosh. Incredible. But anyways... Anyway, bitch perfect. <laughs> let's, let's get... Our last categories before more store, would you rather see a prequel, sequel, or remake? Obviously, they've made two sequels. Yeah. I, Mike, I haven't seen the sequels. I don't oh, they're think so I bad, will. dude. They're so bad. They're so bad. Yeah, I don't think, and I, a prequel doesn't make sense. I don't think, I wonder if they're going to try to milk this for another sequel or like a TV, like a Netflix 10 episode TV thing. I, I can't imagine that someone is done making money off this, I off think this people, concept. People might want to. I feel like a spinoff is the most likely just because Pitch Perfect 3, to my understanding, tanked really hard in that I've never heard anyone talk about it ever. Um, Pitch Perfect 2, you thought Ben Platt wasn't in the first movie enough. Watch Pitch Perfect 2 when Ben Platt is already doing some stuff and he's not in it at all. But yeah, I think that I, I think a spinoff about the troublemakers oh this is okay so this is timely we're recording this on may 5th the day after it was announced that stephanie meyer is making a twilight book it's the first one but it's all from edward's perspective which i think is awful and is such a money grab and i hate it and i'm afraid jk rowling's gonna do it oh i don't i don't need that from jk rowling <laughs> no I just, I just don't need it no if she does it from snape i will cry i hate that she tries to go on this big snape redemption tour but i think that if you do this movie again and it's all from the troublemaker's perspective. That way you can get more Ben Platt stuff in there. And maybe you have humor that ages a little bit better and some song choices that age a little bit better. I think that would be really fun because so much of it, it would be fun just to see what happened. So many things happen very quickly, but I want to see a more fleshed out version of Jesse having to be the leader now, of Ben Platt getting on, of Jesse having to convince everyone else that we should bring the weird nerdy kid onto the group and then he sings and he kills like more fleshed out the versions of the things we only got glimpses of because i think the troublemakers are so much more interesting they they really are i would love would love to have seen that sort of perspective i, I think we've aged out of that from them they would have like recreating getting someone like Ben Platt and that Ben Platt Skylar mm -hmm. Aston combo in this movie would be tough. I'm wondering if with Pitch Perfect 2, I'm wondering if the reason that Ben Platt, like since he was already doing stuff, oh, he was yeah, already yeah. gaining steam, <laughs> I'm wondering if the reason that that he wasn't in it as much was just like I'm doing this as a courtesy to you because I'm already better than this. Yeah, or it's like that yeah. scene in Social Network when uh, when Jesse Eisenberg as Zuckerberg is just basically letting the lawyer knows that he has like the bare minimum of his attention. That's kind of what Ben Platt was doing for these <laughs> movies, but it's uh yeah i i'm sure we have not seen the last of of pitch perfect but i am mm -hmm. glad that we had the chance to talk about this and we certainly have not seen the last of you and your podcast mike mm -hmm. tell the folks again where they can follow you and where they can catch out catch your new podcast meddling adults sure so if you want to follow me on social media it's at shub 17 s-c-h-u-b-e-s-1-7 everywhere uh and then my podcasts there's potterless where i read and now watch like movies and the play and stuff. Harry Potter for the very first time. Uh, never did as a kid, do it as an adult. That's at Potterless Pod everywhere. And then Horse, a basketball podcast where we only
only talk about the sillier elements, which we've done pretty well, given that basketball is canceled and that our show mainly just focuses on telling stories of NBA history, uh, especially with the last, last dance coming out, too. It's been very fun to share just other wild stories so wild that they have not made their way into that documentary. Um, so that's at Horse Hoops everywhere. Uh, and then, yeah, Meddling Adults, the new podcast where we try to solve children's mysteries from the likes of Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew and all of them. That's uh, at Meddling Adults, and you can just search for all of these wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Well, Mike, thank you again for coming on. One day we will have to have you on for a normal sports movie, just something very <laughs> straightforward, basketball movie. You know, a team needs to win the championship, just something nice and normal. If you um, haven't done Rookie of the Year, it's one of my faves, and I'm always down to talk about Henry Rosenbagger. I mean, Rulin Verder. I mean, I Rowan I mean, Gardner. if you want to do a debate about Rookie of the Year, because Rookie of the Year is not one of my faves. I would love, I would love to try to defend its honor of being so bad that it's good. Well, we might have to do that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, as always, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcast. New episodes every Monday. Also, if you are a baseball fan, please go check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm in partnership with Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. And until then, we'll see you next Monday. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.